Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. I am so excited to be bringing you the story that is in today's episode. This is a story that I became interested in about a year ago. And I did research on it and I created a video on YouTube. And it is the story of the mystery village of Harmonia. All that remains today of the existence of the village of Harmonia, which lies about five or six miles west of Battle Creek, is an old forgotten cemetery. There's a portion of a road, as well as a road that runs through Springfield called Harmonia Road. And it runs into the Fort Custer Industrial Area, where this little village once stood. There is a very long and fascinating history with the village of Harmonia. It has a lot to do with the spiritualism movement in which it was founded. And it is one of those fascinating and forgotten tales that makes it such a challenge to research. But I found a whole treasure trove of new material today. In addition to the material that I originally released in my video last year. So come along and join me today. Let's venture into the forgotten lost village of Harmonia. Now, there are some conflicting facts regarding the early founding of the village of Harmonia that I have found. Initially, if you watch my YouTube video, which I will put the link to in the show note descriptions so that you can see what I created there about a year ago, and I just re-watched it to refresh myself with some of the material that I'd researched at that time. When you go into putting a project like that together, I tend to just dig into it and just bury myself in the material. And once I'm done and I've put a timeline together and I've created the video and I feel like I've told the story, I tend to just put everything in a file and move on to a new project. So it occasionally helps to go revisit videos that I've done before on certain topics to refresh my memory on the research timeline and help me get a new start when I want to research the story a little bit further. And that's what I did here. I started researching the material further. I opened up my video to refresh myself with the timeline and watched it through. And I was very impressed with the amount of work that I had created at that time. And it's very accurate. There are a couple of inconsistencies that I found, which I'll cover with you today. But there's only one, really only one point that is inconsistent with what's in the video of what I'm going to tell you today. And that is when the original owners of the land actually arrived on the plains of Bedford and created the idea eventually of founding their own village. So let's start with an article that I came across, which is entirely new. And it was something that I had not found at the time when I made my video a year ago. And it was written by a gentleman by the name of Charles E. Barnes, who was a very old established pioneer from a pioneer family in Battle Creek. And it was written in May of 1908, and it was published in a newspaper at the time called the Sunday Journal Record. And the title of the article was, A Country Highway is Where Once the Main Street of a Village Whose Intellectual Appeal Brought to Many Persons of Distinction and Reputation to the People of This Generation Harmonia is merely a word. And it was written by Charles E. Barnes. So throughout this episode, I'm going to be referring a lot to Mr. Barnes' article, as well as introducing some other facts that align with other material that I found and expounding upon some of the information that he wrote about way back in 1908. 
six miles west of this city on the south side of the Kalamazoo River is what is known as Bedford Plains, Mr. Charles E. Barnes writes. A tract of land as level as a floor commencing on top of the high bluff of the Kalamazoo River Valley and running south to the foot of Toby's Hill and east and west for about three miles. The township line between Bedford and Battle Creek runs through the center of this plain. What area is he actually talking about? If you're familiar with the Battle Creek area, just west of the city of Battle Creek is an area called the Fort Custer Industrial District. And that is where the Bedford Plains and that was where the village of Harmonia was originally established. The township line of Bedford and Battle Creek used to be Battle Creek Township way back then, and then it became all Battle Creek City somewhere in the 1960s. But at the time of this article, it was Bedford Township and Battle Creek Township, and the center line between the two townships was where the village of Harmonia was founded, and it straddled both sides of the township line. And that whole area was called the Bedford Plains. Where is this today? It's actually, if you were to stand in the center of where the village of Harmonia once stood, you'd be standing in the parking lot of Denso Manufacturing. So if you're familiar with the area, that gives you kind of a context of where the village of Harmonia once stood. So going back to the article by Mr. Barnes, about 1844, Reynolds Cornell and his wife, Dorcas, both Quakers located on the Plains having bought 160 acres of land. Their family consisted of four stalwart sons, Hiram, George, Edward, and Henry, and also two daughters. So they had six children. In 1848, when the so-called Rochester Wrappings originated, the ism, now known as spiritualism, the good old Quaker family fell under its magical influences and became spiritualists, as did nearly all of the members of the Quaker church in Battle Creek. What is he referring to there? In 1848, in Rochester, New York, two sisters, Catherine Kate Fox, known as Kate Fox, and Margareta, who went by Maggie Fox. They were about four years apart in age. In 1848, Kate was 11 years old and Maggie was 15. There's a lot of different stories and accounts of what happened, but I'll give you kind of a summary of what they did. They were playing an April Fool's prank on their mom, and they decided to trick her into believing they could talk to spirits. This is what they confessed to many, many years later in life. But at that time, they didn't tell anybody about it. And what they were actually doing was knocking on a table underneath the floor. And their mom, you know, came in the room and they said, Mom, let me show you something we found that we can speak with spirits. And they gave her a demonstration where they would ask the spirit questions and they'd get some knocking. And they were secretly knocking underneath the table and had a way of doing it so it didn't look like they were doing it and their mom was shocked and, and surprised and taken aback and this whole movement of the thing started from that incident and the belief that you could speak with spirits and they could communicate with you and that was really the foundation of the spiritualism movement now the girls didn't create this idea on their own they had an older sister named Leah Fox that observed this demonstration and 
decided to take the two sisters under her wing. Leah was 35 years old. So she had an 11-year-old sister and a 15-year-old sister that pulled this prank and they weren't telling anybody and they kept it secret among themselves. And so Leah takes them out and exposes them to the world and she, they start doing demonstrations in public and it grows into this movement that became known as spiritualism. And it wasn't until very much later in life, almost a, probably a decade before the two girls died, that they confessed that the whole thing was a hoax. However, the spiritualism movement took on a national movement of its own, and people began doing seances and setting up meetings and organizations so that they could communicate with the dead, and it built up this huge following of people seeking to communicate with the dead. Now, on my podcast, I've interviewed author Amber Rose Hammond, who's written a book called Mysterious Michigan, and one of her stories covers some of Battle Creek as well as the Vicksburg spiritualism movement in her book. And we had a great discussion when she was on as a guest about spiritualism in the state of Michigan and how it actually had this huge following in Michigan. And spiritualism churches also showed up in Sturgis, and there were several of them around the southwest Michigan area. But the three main areas that I've come across in my research is Battle Creek as being a central area of it, particularly Harmonia, which was right next to Battle Creek. And then there was a pocket of the spiritualism movement in Vicksburg, as well as over in Sturgis. And there were certainly other areas around the state. A lot of the Quakers in Battle Creek, as he mentioned in his article, became members of the spiritualist movement. In fact, a large percentage of the Quaker church in Battle Creek became members of the spiritualism movement. Now, that didn't happen overnight. This rise of spiritualism started in 1848. The Reynolds became converts of the belief, and they decided to found the village of Harmonia in 1850. The village map was not platted until 1855, and it was actually platted by a gentleman by the name of John Meacham, who did a lot of surveying and platting. If you follow my YouTube channel, I've done a, a few stories on John Meacham here in Battle Creek, and he had quite an influence between Kalamazoo and Battle Creek on helping people sort out land problems, and he was a self-taught attorney that practiced during that time in the area, and he was quite knowledgeable about land and platting of land. And he filed the first plat on behalf of the Cornells at the township's offices, in the county clerk's office. The plat map that you will find when you do research on Harmonia states that it was platted in 1857. So it probably took a couple of years to go through the legal process, but he started the survey in 1855. And what they did is they took 140 acres of that land and converted it into one-acre lots. And he platted out roughly about five parallel streets with a center street running perpendicular through the other uh, six streets. The center street of Harmonia ran down the township line between Bedford Township and Battle Creek Township. And you were walking down the center street of Harmonia, 
in the village, you were walking right on the dividing line between the two townships. Returning back to Mr. Barnes' article, the oldest and seemingly most ambitious son, Hiram Cornell, desiring to obtain an education, went to Olivet College. After he returned home, he received the idea of establishing a seminary on new and reform lines on his father's farm. He possessed new theories regarding education and at that time advanced the idea of what is now known as manual training. He proposed a school in which the scholars attending the school would pay for their expenses by doing labor. So essentially, they built a school and he set up the school where the students could pay their way through school by doing manual labor in the surrounding farms right around the village. And that was the structure of how students paid for their curriculum and their paid for their education. And it's a very interesting model, and it, and it makes sense when you hear some of the other stories that I will read here in a little bit about the village history of what was going on. So the students attending were all working on farms or working on the, the farms owned by Reynolds Cornell and his wife or surrounding people that lived or bought lots in the Harmonia Village. So Barnes continues, About this time, a wave of new ideas spread over the country, and there came a flood of reform movements. Many of these reforms were accepted by Hiram Cornell and suggested to him in the establishment of the school and a community where there would be a more harmonious and brotherly relation between man and man than then existed in society. Hence, the school was called the Bedford Harmonial Seminary, and the village-to-be was christened Harmonia. Upon this plain was located this utopian gem with the emerald setting of surrounding fields and woodlands. Upon this beautiful location was planted another sweet auburn, loveliest village of the plain, where health and plenty cheered the laboring swain, where smiling spring its earliest visit paid, and parting summer's lingering bloom delayed. It was just a little poem that he threw in there. So the seminary was started first. The seminary was started before the village was actually platted. In the Battle Creek Weekly Journal of August 27, 1852, it appears the announcement, the proprietors and friends of Bedford Institute have secured the services of competent teachers and made other arrangements which they believe will be satisfactory and invite attention to the institute. It is situated five miles west of Battle Creek on a beautiful plain free from unhealthful causes and the contaminating influences by which village schools are surrounded and is conducted upon liberal principles. Great pains will be taken to render the task of students pleasing and delightful. Instructions in composition and a thorough English course and mathematics and natural science will be given. The term begins in September. A teacher's class will be organized at the commencement and continued for eight weeks for the benefit of those desiring to teach. Terms were $10 a year. Board was a dollar to a dollar twenty-five a week. And it was signed H. Cornell Manager. So the information furnished by the County Register of Deeds 
showed that Harmonia was surveyed by Judge John Meacham in September 1855 and was recorded as a village plat in November of 1855 by George Ingersoll, Register of the Deeds. The parties signing the dedication were in order as follows. Hiram Cornell, Abby N. Cornell, E.T. Cornell, Rufus Houghton, Lewis Houghton, Reynolds Cornell, and Dorcas H. Cornell. There were 140 lots, as I explained before, on the plat, and each were one acre. In the Journal of August 29, 1856, it's a notice that says, Good accommodations in a large boarding house or private families can be obtained at the Bedford Harmonia Institute. The object of the Institute is to accommodate liberal and classical minds. There were 106 students the past year. So they were not only holding a seminary and school in this Bedford Harmonial Institute, but there were boarding rooms in the same building. A seminary building and a large dormitory was erected on the main street, which was the town line between Bedford and Battle Creek Townships. The dormitory was a big, square, three-story wooden building. On account of its peculiar shape, it was named by the students the Bandbox, by which name it was ever afterwards known. It was bought in later years and torn down for the lumber it contained. The seminary building was burned in September 1852 but it must have been repaired as the seminary existed until at least 1862. Now, here's an interesting note. You'll see, if you look on the village plat map, the name of Dr. George H. Haskell as owning one of the parcels of land in the village of Harmonia. And the article by Mr. Barnes says a valuable acquisition to the faculty was Dr. George H. Haskell of Rockford, Illinois, who identified himself with the active work of the institution about the year 1857. So purposes of the village is the next section of this article. The following notice signed by E.Y. Cornell president and G.W. Webster secretary appeared in the journal of November 13, 1857. The principal purpose to be effected by the formation of this village are educational and reformatory, and the former so far as it unites the advantages of the sound physical with a liberal literary education, and the latter so far as the former can herald in the development of a more beautiful and harmonious structure. The better to affect these ends, all persons visiting Harmonia, having well-formed opinions as to the best modes of aiding progress, are requested to express the same and to explain their bearing on education and reform. A thorough investigation was made of mesmerism, hypnotism, and psychic phenomena, and a spiritualistic cycle was held once a week. Dances were held for the benefit of the scholars every Saturday night. These things were looked upon with horror by the Orthodox farmers who lived in that vicinity, and they became greatly prejudiced against the members of the community. Now, this is an interesting point about the history of Harmonia. So about this point in time, 1857 and thereafter, 
they start holding dances every Saturday night. A lot of the young people from Battle Creek were starting to come over. I found another article on this, and they would come over and they would enjoy the dances there at the Institute in the evenings. And the surrounding farmers, they described as being more orthodox. There was, by 1864, a large group of Methodists that moved in from Erie, Pennsylvania, and purchased a lot of the surrounding farmlands. And they they came later in the timeline, but they didn't really take to the teachings of spiritualism. If you lived in the area and you had kids that needed to go to school, there was a school established there in Harmonia, and it was supposed to be non-denominational like the Institute was. However, the villagers also kind of subtly made spiritualism available, and there were some references to speakers that would come in and not be very impressed with the non-denominational pitch that they gave about the Institute and finding that the spiritualism was more strongly pushed than made openly available to those that were interested. So there was a little bit of this conflict, and I've come across that a few times. Parker Pillsbury was an abolitionist minister that would travel through the country during the Civil War era, and he was a writer, and he was also a lecturer on not only abolitionism, but also women's rights. And he came through and did some speaking in Harmonia at the Institute, as many speakers of the time did, particularly abolitionists and temperance speakers, as well as those speaking on women's suffrage. And Parker Pillsbury left there being quite critical of the seminary as it was presented to him as being non-denominational, but he saw that the spiritualism was promoted quite heavily there. Incidentally, some of the other people that spoke there over the years, a man by the name of Jonathan Walker, who was an anti-slavery speaker and worker, and he actually was arrested in 1844 for stealing a slave and letting him become free. And he was branded by the U.S. government on his hand with the letters SS as part of his punishment in the court system. And the SS stood for Slave Stealer. And there's actually a picture of his branded hand on the YouTube video that I created, if you want to check that out. Another speaker is a man that I featured on my podcast in Season 1, and it was Dr. John Peebles. And he was a bit of a um, eccentric doctor from the period, has a very interesting story, and he was big in the spiritualism movement. He also spoke alongside Sojourner Truth in Battle Creek, and Sojourner Truth also spoke at Harmonia several times. And Sojourner Truth became a resident of the village of Harmonia in 1857. That was her first landing spot in Michigan, and she bought a lot there. And she stayed only until 1867 when she moved to Battle Creek and took up a residence on College Street and remained there the rest of her days until she passed away. She was not very favorable in her speaking about Harmonia. She didn't like it that much and wasn't very fond of the place. But she spent a lot of time traveling during that period. So her actual time in Harmonia 
even though she had a residence there for about 10 years, was probably maybe a third of that time because she spent a lot of her time on the road as an abolitionist speaker during that period. But her daughter remained in Harmonia after she moved to Battle Creek with her husband, and her daughter remained there for 30 years. And her daughter was Sophia Schuyler, and she ended up passing away in 1901 at the Calhoun County Poor Farm, which is a very sad story. So Mr. Barnes goes into some of the faculty that were at the seminary. The faculty at the seminary consisted of Professor Hiram Cornell, who was the principal. He was the son of the Quakers who founded the village, Reynolds, Cornell, and Dorcas. Now Hiram would eventually abandon his teaching profession after the closing of the seminary, and he went west and engaged in farming and later in the mercantile business. Professor Darium Lyman was a graduate of Miami University and was a teacher in the institution. He engaged in teaching later in Quincy, Illinois for a time and did work for Albury Bisbane in translating from French to English. And afterwards, he went to Washington and held an important position in one of the departments there. He was considered to be a very able man. Professor J.W. Talbot was one of the other teachers And he left for the West and engaged in farming and fruit growing in later years. And he was eventually elected to and served in the Nebraska legislature. Another professor was O.D. Howe, who was an instructor, and he afterwards gave up teaching and became a farmer and fruit grower in the West and later engaged in surveying. Another professor was George W. Webster, and he's a teacher, and he later moved to Lake Helen, Florida, where he owned a large winter resort hotel, which was eventually run by his own son down there. And he was a, an enthusiastic student of botany and made many discoveries in the field. He served in the Civil War and rose from private to captain with his company. Other teachers that were at the Institute was Professor Richard Stone and his wife, and his wife's name was Della Hartstone. There was Professor S.J. Talbot, Professor Bruce Burdock, and Miss Sarah C. Hill. Professor E.P. Howland was not a member of the faculty, but he gave frequent lectures there. And he was a devoted student of the science of spiritualism. And during the war, he raised an independent company known as Howland's Engineers, which was composed of professional men and skilled mechanics. And as the name implied, the men were to do engineering as part of the war effort. In his company, they enlisted the entire senior class of the Agricultural College and a number of students from the state university, including Professor Wheeler's assistant, who was a professor of astronomy. And among those who enlisted from the city of Battle Creek was George Barnes, who was a relative of Charles Barnes, who wrote this article, and Charles T. Hall, A.H. Geddes, H.H. Hubbard, and a few other ones from the Battle Creek community. Those were some prominent names. If you go around Oak Hill Cemetery, you'll see those names on headstones. Professor and Mrs. Stone later moved on to Ontario, California, And in 1860 and 1861, they taught school in Vicksburg, Michigan for 20 years following, which accounts for the spiritualism movement that started up over in Vicksburg. And they later went on to Syracuse, Nebraska, 
and did some teaching there. And when I did some research on this, I believe there was also a Nebraska spiritualism movement. So that was probably connected with the Stones being part of that. Now, over the years, there were a number of people that were considered to be more than ordinary intellectual in ability, and they took up residence in Harmonia. Among them was Governor Nathaniel P. Talmadge. Talmadge had been a very prominent politician in New York, and he was a graduate of Columbia College, and a highly educated man, and he was considered to be a polished gentleman of the old school, and he was a thinker and an original investigator, and he was a big follower of the spiritualism movement when it came about. A woman in the village, Miss Alonzo Fogg, who resided in Harmonia from 1861 to 1864, stated that Governor Talmadge was one of the most intellectual, agreeable, and companionable characters that she ever knew. Governor Talmadge became tired of politics and jaded with the social life and its hypocrisies, and having become a convert to spiritualism, sought seclusion and quiet and a peaceful life in the village of Harmonia. He died in the village of Harmonia and was buried in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Now, Charles Barnes was curious about the history of Governor Talmadge, and he wrote to both New York and Wisconsin for the political record of Talmadge. And from New York, he got the following reply, that Nathaniel P. Talmadge was a member of the assembly in the state from Dutchess County in 1824. He was a state senator from 1830 to 1834, and he was elected as a U.S. senator in 1833 and served until 1844. The Secretary of Wisconsin reported that Talmadge was a territorial governor of Wisconsin from September 16, 1844 to May 13, 1845, and he was appointed by John Tyler, President of the United States at that time. Another famous person was Warren C. Chase and his family, and they resided in Harmonia. Chase was a brilliant man and became well-known as an author and lecturer in his time. They later moved to Cogden, Illinois. Dr. Milton Chase, who was a brother of Warren C. Chase, was also a leading physician in Otsego, Michigan, and was a student at the academy. And of course, of the other notable people that was considered to be quite intellectual in their time was Sojourner Truth. She was a former slave, and although she didn't know how to read or write, she could mesmerize a crowd with her ability to articulate and enlighten people on the rights of man when it came to slavery, as well as the rights of women when it came to women's suffrage. And she was also a proponent of the temperance movement. And then he mentions an individual that is quite unique. He was referred to as the punctual Horatio Wilson. A very remarkable character was Horatio Wilson. He was a human chronometer. He daily timed all of his work and his personal actions by the clock. His punctuality was a marvel. His whole life was as regular as a timepiece. Probably no man ever lived that carried punctuality to the exactness that Wilson did. He was a wonder to all who knew him. If he came to Battle Creek on business and told his wife that he would be home by 1.15 in the afternoon, he was there at that precise minute. So it was with everything that he did. Mrs. Sarah Lord, 
of Battle Creek, who was a member of his family, told that one night he took his children to an entertainment at the seminary in Harmonia. And at its close, coming down the stairs, she herself fell and was injured so that she had to be taken to an adjoining house. And Wilson was greatly agitated and in an excited state of mind, not because of the fact of her being hurt, but because he would not be at home upon the precise minute that he had planned to arrive. Wilson and his wife were very benevolent and kindly people, and not having any children of their own, they raised and educated seven adopted children. And they had only 10 acres of land. Yeah, only 10 acres. Wow. Uh, today that would be quite a, uh, an asset, but back then having only 10 acres was uh, considered a small parcel of land, I guess. But uh, it goes on, but they were economical and planned everything so well that they had plenty to live upon. Now, Professor Stone that I mentioned earlier once wrote a letter about the village of Harmonia and the Institute, because uh, he was a, a teacher there. And he said about the year 1857, Dr. George Haskell of Rockford, Illinois, came to Harmonia and bought a part of the Cornell property, giving financial aid, carrying on the school, and furnished more work for the scholars by raising strawberries and other fruit for the Chicago market. In 1859, he withdrew his support from the school and a year later sold out and went away. So there's an example of the Cornells bringing in investors into the village of Harmonia. Dr. George Haskell purchased a part of their land, raised strawberries with the labor of the students that attended the institute, and after a couple of years, he got tired of the whole operation and left. And then the letter goes on to say that Reynolds Cornell assisted almost to his undoing in furthering the enterprise of his son, and Edward, a brother of Hiram, also shouldered a portion of the responsibility. The Cornells, originally Quakers, had become spiritualists, and the school was advertised to some extent in periodicals devoted to spiritualism, but no ism was entered into in the classroom. The lecture hall was alike free to the Christian minister, the spiritualist, and the skeptic alike. All got a courteous and respectful hearing. It was the aim of the founder of the school to make a non-sectarian approach. The largest number of students in attendance at any one term was 150. I should not place the average above 100. The morals and good habits of the students were most excellent. I do not think there was one among them that used tobacco or intoxicating liquors. On Saturday evening of each week from 7 to 10 o'clock, the hall was open to students for dancing. These dances were always conducted with the order and decorum. They served to not only give agreeable recreation, but to promote friendliness. Many lecturers of note who came to Battle Creek also visited Harmonia and were guests of the Reynolds Cornell home and delivered lectures to the students and citizens of the village. Among them were Henry C. Wright, Stephen and Abby Kelly Foster, Charles Burleigh, Giles Stebbins, Sojourner Truth, James Walker, A.B. Whiting, Warren Chase, J.M. Peebles of Battle Creek, who frequently spoke in Harmonia on Sundays. 
financial embarrassment caused the suspension of the school in 1860. Hiram Cornell retired from the enterprise empty-handed. The brother Edward lost heavily, but the father had lost much more than both. He assumed the remaining debts and paid them all back. He still had something left of his former valuable holdings. The Cornells disposed of their remaining interest in Harmonia and went to the new territory of Nebraska, where they recovered and largely increased their fortunes. The only survivors of the Reynolds and Dorcas Cornell family are two daughters and the youngest son. That was at the time of the letter, written in 1908. And the final interesting note about Harmonia was that in August of 1862, a cyclone swept over Harmonia, and it leveled all of the fences and twisting down large trees within a radius of one mile, and over 20 houses and barns were unroofed. The house of James Roffey was made into kindling wood, and his two-weeks-old baby was killed. His wife was injured. A hired girl that was working for him had her arm fractured, and his three-year-old daughter, Addie, was picked up by the storm and carried about 60 rods into an adjoining field. So that was quite an interesting story, and there's an article that came out in 1917 when Rafi was in his 90s, and he relayed that story, and the, um, the child that he lost was a son in that incident. This tornado also tore the roof off of the seminary, and it was later made into a two-story building. I guess it tore the whole top floor off. And it was said that timber from Harmodia was found as many as five miles east in Bedford, and it was a uh, one of a freak accident storms that was quite devastating to the village of Harmonia. Incidentally, the same storm had minimal damage in Battle Creek, and the only major damage was to the steeple of the Episcopal Church that was in Battle Creek. So in 1864, as I mentioned before, the settlers from Erie County, Pennsylvania, began to arrive, and there were many of them. There was the Willis family, the Sampson family, the Madison family, and the Barr family, and they all purchased farms surrounding the village, and they were all Methodists, and so they brought in the influence of the Methodists, at this point, the spiritualists were starting to leave Harmonia. The Methodists didn't quite jive with the spiritualist movement, and that didn't really set well with them. So even though the Institute was open to them to deliver their services there, they decided to build their own church on Main Street in Harmonia, and so they did. So Harmonia ultimately went into decline, and by the early 1900s, there was only a few residents living there. In 1917, the U.S. government was looking to build a military base in the country, and the city of Battle Creek proposed to them to purchase the land where Harmonia was and the surrounding properties to build the base. And that ultimately happened, and they built Fort Custer beginning the construction in late 1917 into 1918. And so the village of Harmonia was purchased. The only remaining building that wasn't torn down was the old school. All the rest of the buildings that were still there after the acquisition by the government were torn down, and barracks were built out there. 
today the Harmonious Cemetery is about the only remaining standing record of the village having ever existed. It's a little difficult to find if you don't know how to get there. The best way to access it is to go to the parking lot of Battle Creek Unlimited. And to the left of that, there is a small open little parking lot. And you'll see a road going up the hills to through a wooded area. That road is the road up to the Harmonia Cemetery. And there's a gate there. And you have to contact Bedford Township Cemetery and let them know that you're going to go visit. However, when I went there, there was a big hole cut in the fence. And I went in and filmed. And I I think a lot of people had been going into it. And I spoke with Bedford Township about it. And they've had problems over the years with people cutting holes in the fences. So they have just um, kind of worked around it and continued just leaving the holes there so that they wouldn't continue to make more damage. Kids would go into that cemetery at night because it was somewhat isolated and they do a lot of partying and there was a lot of urban legends about ghosts being out there because it was the location of where the Harmonia Village once was. So spiritualism in the United States was very popular from 1848 through about the 1920s and it saw a huge resurgence after the Civil War largely due to a few different things. One, it offered a way to communicate with the departed. And this was something that was very important to a lot of people post-Civil War because so many men never came home. And a lot of people never knew what happened to their loved ones. If you visit some of the eastern cemeteries that are Civil War burials, you will find that 40% of the graves in a lot of those cemeteries are unknown soldiers because they there was no identification on them when they died and that was you know the idea of dog tags was not something that was in existence back then so there were a tremendous amount of unknown soldiers from the civil war and you can find them in a lot of cemeteries there are two buried at oak hill cemetery there's one buried at fort custer cemetery and there are a tremendous amount as you go out towards the east coast in some of the cemeteries around um, Vicksburg and across Virginia and Massachusetts and places like that where a lot of the battles were fought. So you have this aspect of the loss of people, they wanting to contact them. There was also the aspect of photography that was coming into play. And the Civil War, unlike wars that were before in the War of 1812, was the first major war on American soil that photographers were taking pictures of dead soldiers on the battlefield and the carnage was really coming home and these pictures were getting circulated in not only in newspapers but in magazines and things of the time and circulated around and brought home and it was made available to the public and these shocking visual depictions of what was going on on the battlefields had an aspect of having families want to find out what happened to their loved one. And so you saw this rise in spiritualism. There was also a similar rise with World War One, with a lot of young men that never came home and people wanting to find out what happened to their loved ones. And so you had, by 1897, post-Civil War, 8 million followers in the United States estimated as being members or followers of the spiritualism movement which is quite astounding. Some of the more famous ones 
during the Civil War was Mary Todd Lincoln, who brought in spiritualist representatives into the White House and had Abraham Lincoln there take part in some of those seances or whatever they held after the loss of their son. And there's some other interesting cases about the spiritualism movement. I did a full episode on this podcast about the Sarah Havlin murders that happened in Battle Creek, and she was very much involved with the spiritualism movement. And the doctor, that Dr. Baker, that she was involved with was a frequent visitor to the village of Harmonia, and they were part of that whole spiritualism movement. So there was some of the spiritualist activity in the village of Harmonia, and there was still some that were over in the city of Battle Creek at that time. And Sarah Haviland used the spiritualism movement to try to justify or hide the crimes of her own poisoning of her own children, which is just a horrible story. So the, it's a very interesting subject matter to look at from many angles. And I'll probably do more episodes on spiritualism later this year. I might bring Ambrose Hammond back on and do another episode discussing some stories with her. I am in the process of uh, early stages of putting together a book on this subject that would include not only spiritualism, but also the history of Harmonia and some of the case of Sarah Haviland and tell that whole story combined in one very interesting forgotten chapter of uh, this area's history. And I've got several other book projects that I'm starting to compile and put stuff together on. I hope to have at least one book released later this year and come up with a series of them that uh, tie in with the tales of Southwest Michigan past this year. But that is uh, essentially the story of the village of Harmonia. So I'll close out by giving you a quick timeline revisiting of the whole history of the Harmonia timeline. 1850, the Cornell family purchased the land. Essentially, they bought the land in 1844. The village plat was laid out and officially platted by 1855. However, in 1852, the Bedford Harmonial Institute opened three years before the village was platted. Between 1856 and 1857, Sojourner Truth purchased land in the village of Harmonia. And 1860, Bedford Harmonial Seminary Institute was disbanded. In 1862, the tornado destroyed much of the village. 1863, the Cornell family moved out to Nebraska. The tornado did a lot of damage and ruined a lot of their investment. So a year later, they pulled out and moved to Nebraska. 1867, Sojourner Truth gives up on the village of Harmonia and moves to 38 College Street in Battle Creek. And in 1917, Camp Custer was built on the former Harmonia site. So I love exploring the stories of forgotten villages and places that no longer exist. Harmonia is one of those ones that is quite compelling because it has such an interesting beginning and an interesting history and somewhat of a sad history and a little bit of a quirky existence in history. And there's so many layers to it. In my YouTube video, I researched some of the stories of people that I found in the cemetery there. So if you're interested in hearing a few of their stories, um, there's even some more dimensions to that story of Harmonia that uh, you can learn about if you're interested. And I'll probably do a follow-up um, episode on this subject because there's still a lot more to unpack about it. And there's a lot of 
individual stories about people that lived there. And um, it was just a fascinating place. And it, it existed for roughly 60 to 70 years, and then it vanished and it's gone. And now there's no trace of it remaining. And where it once existed is now a parking lot in Denso Manufacturing. So that's going to conclude today's episode. I hope you found it interesting. And if you have any thoughts or ideas about the subject or any direction on uh, what other stories that you might want to hear about, you can always reach out to me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another fascinating tale of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. <laughs>